to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Our scripture text this morning comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 2, starting at the first verse. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went. Ruth came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, To whom does this young woman belong? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came, and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now, without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then Ruth fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds. And may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then Ruth said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious and merciful God, we turn our attention to you. You're the one who's at work in the world. You're not only our creator, redeemer, and sustainer, but you are our friend. Walk alongside us now. We lift our hearts up to you and ask you to illuminate this text we've just read. Teach us something, God. Our only hope is that we belong wholly to you, and we pray that in the security of belonging to you, and as we look at your word together, we might become people more and more like Jesus. Give to us hearts like his, hearts with great room in them. All this we ask for Jesus' sake as well as for the sake of our city and for the sake of all those who flee violence or danger. Amen. Amen. Grace to you and peace. Good morning. My name is David Roth. I'm the director of Memorial Drive Ministries. We're one of uh, North Decatur Prez's community mission partners, and I'm so delighted to be with you this morning in your virtual pulpit to um, open the Word of God together and also to bring you an update about Memorial Drive 
Ministries. You guys have been uh, really a founder and a supporter of Memorial Drive Ministries since our inception three years ago, and you've walked alongside us so faithfully, and I'm so, so grateful for the way North Decatur um, is investing in our mission and also just being a a light in the city and um, a steward of the gospel and uh, God's word and God's hope in the city. So thank you so much. Um, I can't wait to jump into the text of Ruth with you. But um, before we do that, uh, for those of you who may be uh, less familiar with Memorial Drive Ministries, I want to give you a little bit of an overview. Um, Our mission is to foster diverse Christian worship, innovative social services, and transformative relationships on the campus of Memorial Drive. Um, The Memorial Drive campus is located in Clarkston. We're a shared ministry space for churches, nonprofits, recreation groups, and schools that are all serving the diverse community of Clarkston, Georgia. Um, Clarkston, which is just down the road from you guys, has been the site of refugee resettlement for decades and is now one of the most diverse square miles in America. Uh, It's actually been nicknamed the Ellis Island of the South. And the apartment complexes all around our campus There are over 40 nationalities and over 60 language groups. So it's a really dynamic, um, fascinating part of Atlanta. Refugees are people who have fled persecution um, and war. These are people who have made the moral choice to rather than return violence for violence, to flee from violence. Um, They've made the difficult but brave choice to leave behind everything they've ever known uh, to seek a safer place for their families. And there are almost 80 million displaced people in the world today. That number has continued to rise for basically all of my adult life. Uh, In our world today, someone is displaced every three seconds on average. I want you to think about that for a second. One, two, three. Someone's displaced every three seconds on average in our world today. This is an urgent moral concern. This is an urgent moral concern and something that that really demands the church's attention. And so um, that's something we think about a lot at Memorial Drive Ministries and how we can be a welcoming uh, site. Uh, The vast majority of individuals who are displaced remain in the developing world, but a small fraction, um, a small percentage are afforded a chance to begin rebuilding their lives in the U.S. through the U.S. Refugee Resettlement Program. And one of the places in the states that they might arrive is Clarkston, Georgia. Um, there are nonprofit resettlement agencies that meet resettled refugees at the airport and then walk alongside these families for three to six months and provide critical supports like case management, travel to medical appointments, school enrollments, um, employment referrals to open jobs, cultural orientation. And the refugees are, I've met a lot of them, I've worked at some of these agencies in the past. Um, refugees are incredibly resilient and do a great job uh, making their home here. Um, That said, there are still significant material, spiritual, and relational needs in our community in Clarkston. Um, Resettlement agencies do an incredible, incredible job helping people feel safe, getting into their homes, having a roof over their head, their basic needs met. They do an incredible job, especially here in Georgia, of um, helping people find jobs, get self-sufficient, able to pay their bills. But this deeper kind of human concern about belonging is something that resettlement agencies can't do. It has to be a local community coming alongside these folks and um, helping just encounter one another. How do we foster this sense of belonging over the long term? That's something that takes a whole community. And so um, MDM wants to be a site of that kind of uh, that work of how do we belong together? How do we um, forge our common life together? So. Again, I just want to, that's something I'm going to lift up throughout this sermon together. And as we think about the text of Ruth and um, Memorial Drive Ministries and what's happening on our campus, we're going to think together about this question of belonging. Um, As a newcomer comes to a new space, they're asking this question, can I make this my home? 
you know, can I feel familiar here? Can this place feel familiar to me? Um, and this is something that does not happen in six months. Uh, it takes, you know, longer than five years most of the time. This is something that plays out. Um, it takes longer than 20 years a lot of times. This is something that plays out over decades and even over generations, but also in, uh, you know, millions of these mundane interactions that happen on our campus um, when we're not closed due to COVID. So, um, let's jump into the text of Ruth. You know, these questions of belonging are all over the text of Ruth that I read today from chapter two. Um, it's really neat. The, the word belong or belonging or his or hers or yours or mine, all these words that kind of denote or connote belonging happen, I think over 14 times in 13 verses. So, um, you know, Ruth is wrestling with this question of belonging. Like many of the people who we meet in Clarkston uh, and who come on our campus when it's open, Ruth is an immigrant. She's a newcomer. Her home country is Moab, but she finds herself in Israel, uh, in the land of Judah, near to Bethlehem. The whole book of Ruth is another story of migration. I say another because I know last week um, Pastor David opened uh, the book of Genesis with you guys, and y'all learned about uh, Jacob, who was an ancient form of asylum seeker. Well, this is another story. In the book of Ruth, we enter another biblical story of people on the move. The book of Ruth starts with an Israelite family, Naomi's family. Because of drought and unstable social circumstances during the times when the judges ruled, which were dark and chaotic days when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, uh, Naomi's family flees from the land of Judah and decides to settle in Moab. Over time, Naomi's family adds members through marriage, loses members through death, and then again, the need for food as well as a commitment to family drives the Israelite widow, Naomi, and her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, also a widow now, to migrate together back to Judah. For Naomi, this is a homecoming, a repatriation, a return back to her homeland. But for Ruth, this is a migration to a new land, a new place, one she has never known before. And Ruth finds herself among people and in a land that feels strange to her. She's in a, no, a new place where no one knows her. She doesn't know anyone. She, she probably feels invisible. Everything feels unfamiliar. She doesn't intuit the customs or the local culture of the new place. She's left behind her family of origin. She's ventured to an unknown place and an unknown people. Um, I'm sure she would feel unsure about some of the nuances of the local language. I'm sure she felt vulnerable because of a lack of interconnectedness in her new place. Her one connection, Naomi, um, I don't mean to pick on Naomi, but Naomi hasn't so far introduced Ruth to anyone uh, or anything about her new place. And so Ruth feels on her own. She's trying to figure out this question of, will she ever be able to belong to this new place uh, there in Israel? And so Ruth takes the initiative. No one's moving towards Ruth, so Ruth moves out courageously. She tells Naomi, look, I'm going to go glean in the fields. It may be dangerous, but we need food, and I need to figure out something about this new place and figure out if I can belong here and make this my home. She finds a field uh, outside Bethlehem. She's walked probably about the distance from North Decatur Prez uh, out to Clarkston. And she begins following the reapers in the fields, <clears throat> those who are harvesting the grain. Any wheat that the reapers missed, uh, she and the other gleaners would be able to pick up. As it turns out, this is the field of a man named Boaz, who's actually a relative of Naomi and Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. Boaz comes out to visit the field. He gets proximate and he inquires about the identity of Ruth. He says, to whom does this woman belong? He comes speaking words of blessing in the name of the Lord and in a way that Ruth can understand. And in the dialogue that follows between Boaz and Ruth, there's this fascinating interplay between the two of them where they're testing out the ground between them. 
you know, on one level, it's just a normal kind of mundane encounter between two people who have never met each other. But at another, another level, <clears throat> they're both feeling each other out and wondering what their relationship could look like in the future. All these questions of belonging hang in the background and are teased out in their back and forth. Both Boaz and Ruth know that they're not on symmetrical footing currently. There are significant power imbalances that exist between them. Boaz, a wealthy Israelite man, and Ruth, a poor immigrant Moabite woman. But Ruth's courage keeps her in the conversation. And they are both, in the words they choose, trying to show a little bit about themselves, admit differences, fight for common ground. It's this cautious, slow, back-and-forth work that takes time. It's probably not a perfect encounter. These initial encounters rarely are. But I believe it was a true encounter. And in this initial encounter, we see them both kind of cracking the door open to this deeper sense of belonging that might exist between them. An increasingly mutual, symmetrical, reciprocal sense of belonging that will develop throughout the rest of the story. In so, so many ways, this story looks a lot like what happens on the Memorial Drive campus every week when it's not closed due to COVID. First, the gleaning. This was an ancient Israelite practice meant as a way to share excess and provide communal avenues where those in need could care for themselves and care for their families and provide for their families. As the reapers would move through the field harvesting the crop, their commitment to their community and their biblical faith taught them to not go over and over the field getting every drop of profit from the soil, but the wheat they missed would be left behind. And gleaners who could use that wheat and who were willing to harvest that missed grain themselves could follow behind the reapers and use the leftover crop to provide for their families. So too on MDM's campus. This looks an awful lot like the work being done on our campus by many of our nonprofit partners. For example, Global Growers operates the community garden plots on our campus where refugees and community members can grow vegetables and herbs for their families. Amani Women's Center runs a sewing academy on our campus. Uh, for refugee women where they can sew clothes for their families, sell their items online, or even train on industrial machines. Just Bakery pays a living wage to their baking trainees and helps them get ServeSafe certified so that they can be successful uh, in an Atlanta job market. Refugee Family Literacy teaches English classes for women to be able to empower them so that they can make their own choices about how their family will integrate or not in this new place they're calling their home. Inspire, an after-school program, uh, works with mentoring uh, young people after school, middle schoolers, so that they can see a vision of what success might look like in this new place. All of these organizations are doing something that looks a lot like the environment Ruth was able to enter, an environment where excess is shared and where people can increasingly stand shoulder to shoulder as they collaborate together. Even during COVID, as so much has pivoted and had to adapt and in-person activity is limited or not happening at all, these nonprofits are still continuing to serve our neighbors uh, in incredible and creative ways. Second, in this text, we see worship of the God of Israel in shared languages. This is something also that reminds me of the Memorial Drive campus and what happens there. When Boaz comes, he speaks words of blessing uh, in the name of the Lord. And since Ruth responds in kind, we know that Boaz spoke these worshipful words in a way that Ruth could understand. This reminds me of the worship that happens on our campus and that is conducted by our on-site partner congregations, um, currently online, but uh, typically on Sundays. 
We believe that all people are created in the image of God and that they're created for worship and that worship happens best in the context of the vernacular or heart language of the people who are worshiping. So we want to see ministry and Sunday worship that's in vernacular languages uh, that people in the neighborhoods all around us are speaking in their homes. In 2019, we had six different congregations meeting on our campus every Sunday, two in the morning, two in the afternoon, and then two evening services. Um, yeah, this was happening in... Uh, all these different languages like English and Zo and Swahili and French and Mara and Falam and Amharic. The name of the Lord was being praised in all these languages every Sunday. After one congregation moved to a house church model and another congregation um, was able to branch out and uh, purchase their own property to start their own, uh, their own campus for their own ministry, where um, we now have four congregations who have pivoted to online worship um, and are doing an incredible job creatively and faithfully moving uh, to online platforms during the pandemic. So a lot going on that, again, we see in the text of Ruth that's still happening on our campus today. Um, today, even on this, uh, this worship service, you will have heard from Pastor George of Memorial Drive Presbyterian um, and Pastor Gad Mapoyo of Shalom International Ministry and Pastor Kai of uh, Zoe Presbyterian Church. These are really um, leaders on our campus, anchor on-site worshiping communities and some of our most key partners on campus. They help us sustain our campus and uh, sustain our mission on behalf of the city. They've done an amazing job again in the midst of COVID pivoting to online worship. And um, again, we're so excited for platforms like this for us to be with you this morning. But lastly, belonging. This is the one I kind of want to spend the most time on, this question of belonging. In the book of Ruth, again, this relationship between Boaz and Ruth, as it grows and slowly transforms into a relationship of mutuality and mutual belonging, their relationship becomes the site from which God is restoring not only Ruth's sense of belonging in a new place and not only Naomi's family line that she was fearful of if it would continue or not, uh, but actually all of Israel and through Israel, all of the world. The book of Ruth is about nothing less than how a society, uh, a society ruled by the judges when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, a society really that was completely off its rails and on the fast track to chaos and justice and war, how that society was utterly transformed and delivered by the presence and courage of an immigrant. By chapter four of the book, Ruth and Boaz's relationship has moved from an asymmetrical relationship to one of, again, increasingly mutual belonging, and they end up getting married. Ruth and Boaz's son is then born, the son that restores not only Naomi's family line, but then also becomes the descendant of King David, and eventually, ultimately, of Jesus Christ. The whole world will never be the same, and it all started with this interaction in chapter two between a member of the local community and Ruth, an immigrant. This too reminds me of MDM. You know, so many encounters between uh, newcomers and a member of the local community, like a volunteer from North Dakota Pro, sometimes they're awkward, sometimes they're complicated, sometimes they're tricky, right? Um, but over time, we've seen so many friendships form, so many friendships that are transformative and life-giving to both parties. Um, and that is such an incredible, redemptive story to tell. And it's something that the story of Ruth tells us about, an ancient example of, and it's something I get a front row seat to. Um, every day. You see, Ruth the Moabite, so many people in her day might have looked at her and just dismissed her. What's she going to contribute to our world? You know, she's just insignificant. She's just an immigrant, right? But wow, the text of Ruth is saying that the place that is often dismissed as insignificant, 
maybe the precise place, the exact place that God is doing his most incredible, incredible, his most significant, his most redemptive work in the world. I believe that's happening um, out in Clarkston and on the Memorial Drive campus. Um, and I'm so lucky to get a front row seat and to be able to invite you into that, that sense of belonging. All the redemption in the book, all the redemption that plays out in chapters three and four that flows through the narrative and that flows into the opening lines of the New Testament and the Gospel of Matthew where Ruth's listed as an ancestor of Jesus Christ, all that redemption, it starts in this moment of encounter in chapter two. Um, what a gift, what a gift. This story is about nothing less than the revolutionary potential that's there in every encounter across a line of difference. This story of Ruth, and I encourage you to you know, go home and read the whole story. It's an incredible work of literature. It's about nothing less than the transforming power of friendship with newcomers. And that's what Memorial Drive Ministries is about too. We believe that our liberation, our liberation from sin and systems that hold us bound and that keep us captive and hold us back will rest on relationships. Our liberation from those sins and systems will rest on relationships with newcomers like Ruth. We too see every day how incredibly generative these relationships are. Um, you know, Boaz and Ruth, they didn't recognize anything significant about their encounter the first time, I'm sure. I didn't see anything supernatural. It wasn't Moses parting the Red Sea or Peter casting out a demon. But God was at work in their encounter. It was this normal person-to-person -person interaction, but it became the seed for the very redemption of the whole world. Do you see, in the social reality we all share, for all its failures, for all its evils that we're, we see every day, it also can become the precise site where God is up to something mysterious, something profound, something redemptive. You know, when you grow up in a place, I've been thinking a lot about this as I prepared this sermon. When you grow up in a place, you're just a part of this web, this thick web of interlocking relationships and geography and ideas and histories. It's just the air you breathe. It's incredibly hard to notice when you're in it or when you've never left it. It's something you can count on and just take for granted. It's this deep sense of belonging to a local place and to the people there. Uh, Pastor Gad often, I think, refers to this as Mbutu. He says, Mbutu is the African concept for I am because we are. I am because we are. You know, you know what the trees smell like. You know where your favorite restaurant is. You know the route you can take on your bicycle in the evenings. Um, when you see your grandparents, they tell you about what the city was like before it changed, right? Uh, you lose a job, parents immediately start talking to their friends to help network on your behalf. Ruth moved away from all that. Ruth had that in Moab and moved away from all of that. She chose to migrate, and in the new place, the landscapes look different. The accents sound weird. People seem to have certain different values. She can't put her finger on what those are. She's trying to navigate the challenge of integration and this question of if she can ever you know, be restored to a sense of Mbutu, I am because we are. That's so true for so many refugees in today's world. Silas Allard, one of my mentors at Emory, when I was at school there, he writes, to be a refugee is to have lost the vestiges of social belonging. To be a refugee is to, loss, to have lost the vestiges of group affiliation. To be a refugee is to have lost the vestiges of associative identity. Khaled Hosseini, uh, an Afghan author, writes in his book, Sea Prayer, perhaps more poetically from the perspective of a refugee father, he's speaking to his son as they flee war in Syria in the hopes of safer lands. He writes this, um, as a father reminding his child of the home he will never know. 
Listen to this. Listen to this love of a homeland. We woke in the mornings to the stirring of the olive trees in the breeze, to the bleeding of your grandmother's goat, the clanking of her cooking pots, the air cool, and the sun a pale rim of persimmon to the east. I wish you remembered. I wish you remembered the crowded lanes smelling of fried kibbeh and the evening walks we took with your mother around Clock Tower Square. But that life, that time, it seems like a dream now, even to me, like some long dissolved rumor. I've heard this same kind of talk firsthand. I've sat with men from Iraq in their living rooms and heard them talk to me about the trees back home and show me pictures of the trees on their phones because they truly miss them. I've heard women from Nepal tell me about certain foods that they ate every day back in their home in Nepal that they haven't tasted since they left home. I've tried to help people find jobs using my own web of relationships, my own network and the sense of belonging I have here on their behalf. And I felt how immensely challenging it is to be in a new place with absolutely no local ties. I've walked with friends from Burma who have held 24 seven vigils with parents as they entered the final stages of dying so that they could be with them, even if only virtually in those last moments. In all of these instances, people have, due to making the noble and moral choice to flee from violence in the hopes of safer lands for their families, rather than return violence for violence, they've lost or given up a certain sense of belonging with all the benefits that it brings. And they have arrived in a new place asking, can I belong here? What would it mean? What would it take for me to belong here? Will the local community invest in my belonging here? Will they meet me and encounter me with a sense of welcome? You know, if you read the newspapers and the headlines, you might quickly come to believe a lie that our differences are impossible, that our differences only tear us apart. But I believe and can testify to the fact that relationships across line of difference are not only possible, not only deeply desirous, but they're the precise places where God will meet with us or God so often up to something in that liminal space that exists between an encounter between a newcomer and someone who's here. You know, I've recently learned something I want to share with you in closing. This is something I think is really neat. I've been thinking a lot about this. I just want to share it with you as we close. Did you know that in some traditions of African drumming, no drum in the drum circle consistently sounds the beat? There's no drum sounding the beat. There, I mean, there is a beat. Otherwise, it wouldn't really be music. There is a beat, but no drum is consistently sounding the beat. It's something that's a lot different in Western music. It's the reason if you've ever you know, sat in a, a real African drum circle, it might sound odd to you. Why would that be? Why would a drum not be sounding the beat? The reason is because the drum circle is not complete until the dancers come. Until the dancers come and they, discern, they hear, they discern the beat and then enter the dance. They enter the drum circle and make it complete. The, by, the, by leaving out the beat, the drummers are extending an invitation, an invitation to belonging, an invitation to the dancers to come make the community complete. I believe that throughout all of our lives, God is drumming. And more often than not, God is leaving out the beat. Why? Because it's an invitation. It's an invitation to you and to me to come dance the beat in this wild diverse, incredible world that God created. It's an invitation to belonging. 
the dancer to the drummer, the drummers to the dancers. It's an invitation to belonging, belonging to God and to one another. Thanks be to God.